0: Cox Now. It's the ultimate USC sports newsletter. Get inside access to all Carolina sports year-round. Written by Post and Courier reporter David Kloniger. Game Cox Now includes insights and experience from his over 20 years on the beat. You won't find this from anyone else. Plus, subscribers get access to all Carolina and Clemson sports stories on the Post and Courier's website. Start your 2-week free trial today at postandcouriercom now
1: How's it going, everybody? David Kloniger with the Charleston Post and Courier here and the Gamecocks Now newsletter welcoming you to another edition of Countdown to Kickoff. We're going to wrap up the Vanderbilt win, look ahead to the weekend trip to Texas A&M, and then talk about the career of one of the most underrated South Carolina receivers that's ever played. Please welcome my guest, a USC receiver from 2009 to 10, still a school record holder. For catches in a single game with 14, a veteran of pro football in the NFL and the Canadian Football League, and the best thing I can say about him, he's from Rock Hill, South Carolina, as well as I am. Tori Gurley, how you doing, Tori?
0: Man, David, thanks for having me on. I'm extremely excited about this. I'm ready ready to get rolling.
1: It's great to see you, my man. Seems like just yesterday we were cutting it up on the practice field, doesn't it?
0: Man, it, it, it went by so fast, like literally, you know, being a player and wearing a helmet or coming back in the offseason, being in the NFL and talking to you. And now I'm I'm an old guy getting ready to have my first child at like any day now. My wife is oh, due. So.
1: Um, congratulations on that, man. That's terrific. I just had mine. Uh, he's, he's 21 months old now. So, uh, yeah, we, we got that going for us too. We'll, we'll, we'll have them play together sometime. Yes,
0: exactly. Congrats to you and your family.
1: Well, I appreciate that, Tori. But let's get into it, man. I know you still keep up with South Carolina football. Uh, last week, they won the game. Uh, they, they beat. Um, you know, it was not very pretty to watch. It was downright ugly to watch. But, Tori, just your general overall impressions of this team so far. I mean, they're four and three, which I think record wise, probably most people would think they would be at this point. But from how they execute in games, specifically offensively, what have you seen from watching?
0: I'm seeing a team that's still trying to get the chemistry down. Um, Marcus Satterfield, he's still trying to figure it out. You can tell that all this is new to him. Um, Coach Beamer, his body language on the sideline as a head coach, you know, someone that all eyes are on him every play. And sometimes he, he responds to things like a fan would. And I think everybody is just getting a feel for what's going on. Um, what, what I am proud of the guys is they're not laying down, you know, and some of those games we've seen in the past, uh, when teams jump out the leads, you know, it it gets ugly, but to, to see the guys continue to fight, play with pride, eventually the recruits and everything else is going to fall in place where they get some guys that that help jumpstart the program. But as of now, I'm definitely excited to see like how these players continue to develop and, you know, I'm, I'm all about, you know, getting the best ball players the ball, man. If it's Kevin Harris, um, if it's Juju, if it's Marshawn, you know, I know the injury bug has been biting us. But, man, we got to feed those guys. And, and, you know, I'm a wide receiver. And whenever I see Josh Van go up and make plays, you know, I, it, just, it puts a big smile on my face because I know we have the pieces and it, it's, it's slowly going to come together.
1: That's one thing, Tori. I mean, obviously, injuries have been a big part this week. The big story is that Luke Doty is out for the year with that foot injury, and Zeb Nolan is back in at starting quarterback. But they had three tailbacks last week Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, and Zaquandre White. All three of them got ankle injuries coming into this game. And Juju McDowell, who was suspended last week for an off the field issue, will be back this week, but at least he's fully healthy. So I'm with you, man. I just think that, you know, as confusing or as confused as Marcus Satterfield has seemed to be throughout these first seven games, I think he's just making it too hard. Get the guys the ball in space. And you kind of saw an increased emphasis to do that last week,
0: specifically with Jaheim Bell. Is that what you saw too, Torrey? Man, absolutely. And, you know... Hey, I'm going to advocate for Nick Muse, you know, to get his touches. Like we need help, you know, all hands on deck. So um, I think with those guys being in, a, in in a meeting room, sitting back, being able to see the things that they can get better at and um, just going out and playing to your strengths and, you know, I, you know, I, I wish nothing but Zeb, nothing but the best, you know, being in this situation where, you know, we're throwing you out in the fire. He was expected to be a coach and now he's a player. <laughs> so, you know, whatever he can go out and contribute to the team, you know, we're we're definitely gonna we're gonna need it, and it's gonna be appreciated because you know it, it's just a growing process. That I mean, that's all it is. And we as Gamecock fans, we understand it. Like we know what we're up against. So, um, you know, I'm happy we got the win against Vanderbilt. You know, because that's the only thing that matters. It, it doesn't matter how ugly it is, as long as it goes down as a W uh, in the win column. That's what matters. But moving forward this week, uh, playing as a team that's somewhat ascending in the right direction. Um, You know, I just want defensively, you know, we need those guys continue to handle business like they're doing. Uh, Let's stay away from the silly penalties. And offensively, if we can get some guys healthy and and get them the ball, you know, let's just try to grind this game up and make it ugly. you know, the last thing we want to do is try to get in a shootout with the Jimbo Fisher offense that's, you know, scoring at a high clip right now.
1: Yeah, I don't think South Carolina has the horses to win any kind of shootout, but they got to be able to score more than 21 points. Um, With Zeb Nolan from the first two games of the season that, that he started in one, you saw a guy that is not going to lose you the ball game. He's going to take care of the ball. He's going to manage it. His stats are not going to jump off the stage or off the page, but he's going to take care of the ball and get it to where it needs to go. The thing is, Tori, is that Zeb back there, let's just be frank, he can't move. He cannot run out of trouble. I mean, he's just not going to be that kind of guy. Now, that helps simplify the playbook because you're not going to call any designed QB runs like you would if Luke Doty was there. But that also means, well, he shouldn't have to run if you can pass block and if you can run the football. Well, Tory, South Carolina's not been able to do either one of those very well these first seven games. So, what do you think the key to attacking Texas A&M's defense is going to be with Zeb under center?
0: I would say, let's just run the football, Whoever we have, you know, let's, let's simplify it. Instead of trying to be in a shotgun, line up in a formation, you know, and literally just try to win that time of possession, you know, where we literally just holding the ball and, you know, managing the game just like somewhat new England is doing with Mac Jones. You know, all his passes, they're not deep down the field. It's keeping it short. Uh, We have guys like Nick Muse, the carry on Josh van, that can, you know, get open one-on-one and, just make high percentage throws. And then whenever we do get a chance to make a throw over the top, you know, take a shot. But we're just going to have to you know, clock control and game manage if we want to keep this a ball game. Um, If we'll allow Texas A&M to jump out on us, then as you said earlier, we just do not have the horses to put up 35, 40 points because the end zone hasn't been friendly to us this year.
1: Right. And uh, that's the thing. Two weeks ago at Tennessee, you know, they switched it up a little bit. Marcus Satterfield started putting the fullback. In there a little more, either Trey Jones or Jaheim Bell lining up, and it worked. The, the running game was, was working really well, and then they kind of got away from it, and they didn't use it at all last week, which stunned me because they still couldn't run very well. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, you're going to have to do that to try to control the clock. Would you think that the fullback would be a little bit more of an option this week, especially knowing you kind of have to run the football if you have any hope of, run, of winning this game?
0: Man, they have a coach in the building by name of Patrick DeMarco. I literally would have him <laughs> running, have him in practice, have him in drills where literally you, you have someone that's been in the NFL for 10 years that played fullback. That's a position that's almost extinct, but teams exclusively use it when they know they're struggling on offense. And to have someone um, uh, of his experience in the building, literally, man, DeMarco was, he was like a Swiss Army knife, Swiss Army knife horse. He was able to play tight end. He played a little bit of, uh, He obviously played fullback, put him at running back, and it helped. Like, it was one of those things where we had extra protection. And uh, whenever, you know, we had seven-man blocking, you know, we had one-on-one on the outside with Alshon or with myself crossing over the middle of the field, and it just made easier throws for Steven.
1: That's what I was thinking. I can always see DeMarco just kind of bleeding out into coverage, and Steven would hit him, 8, 10-yard button hook every time, and it would work. And that's what South Carolina needs to do. They have the talent to do that. And then with the offensive line, which has been a struggle all year, those guys have just got to stay in place. It seems to me that they're often shifting the wrong way. They're allowing guys to come free. I mean, I wish I could say it was the first time I'd seen it all year, but last week I remember two linemen blocked the same guy and all of a sudden Luke was getting bum-running. Yeah. Just can't have that. I mean, Tori, from, a, you know, a, a guy who's been there, played college ball, played pro ball, what have you seen with the issues on the offensive line? Why is it this way?
0: It just seemed like continuity. I, I don't think those guys communicate enough on the line of scrimmage. You know, just it's okay to let everybody know who you got because I'd rather for us to all be on the same page. But if no one is communicating mm-hmm. and you mess around and have two players blocking the same guy, it hurts the team. So if if it has to be as simple as you pointing out the guy saying, hey, I got number 90, I got number 99, I got David, it's all right. (laughs) We're all on the same page. We're going to block it. And it gives you a better chance to, you know, get positive yards.
1: That's one thing a lot of folks have asked me, said, you know, Dave, is Satterfield's offense just too complicated for these guys? And I didn't know what to say early in the year because I don't have a playbook. But, you know, the first couple of games you couldn't judge too much because it's They're figuring things out, what works, what doesn't work. The problem is, is that everything has gotten to game seven now. We still don't have a real answer. Now, I will say they had some things happen they didn't expect. You know, they expected Luke Doty to be the guy, and then he wasn't there. Then he was there, but he was hobbled. Kevin Harris has not been himself after offseason back surgery. So that takes away two big pieces of it. That said, you just want to see an offense trying to build an identity, build a rhythm, and try to get into what they are. And they're about to go up against a Texas A&M defense that you know, is going to force them. I remember uh, two, two weeks ago, Torrey, A&M beat Alabama. And a big part of that was they were able to harass Bryce Young, Alabama's QB, get him out of the pocket, make him uncomfortable. You remember from that game, what have you seen from A&M's D?
0: Oh, well, just talking to NFL scouts, you know, they have three first rounders, uh, you know, between the offense and defensive line. So, you know, they're talented. So, you're, we're going to have to bring our A game just going against that type of player, you know, consistently. And then Jimbo Fisher, he just understands how to utilize his talent. You know, you're starting to see uh, the tight end making big plays. He, you know, his name is up on draft boards now where, you know, he's ascending and, Literally, you know, they're doing this with a backup. They don't even have their starter in, so um, that let, that that lets you know what type of talent that team has over there. And you know, our hands are, are you know are going to be pretty full, but I think if we go in there and, and and keep it competitive, it can give us a shot. That's
1: one thing, Tori. I think a bright spot of the Gamecocks this year has been their defense. I don't think anybody's really expecting to play as well as they have against Tennessee. They had a bad first quarter, but played pretty well the rest of the game last week. They didn't play necessarily bad. They just had two big coverage busts where they were playing a quarterback who they had not practiced for because the guy wasn't supposed to play, and then those two coverage busts and a bad tackle led to two touchdowns. So that's kind of what got them behind. But overall, defense has played pretty well. What have you seen from that side of the ball and who stood out to you?
0: Yeah, I'm definitely loving the guys on defense. I I think Coach White is the defensive coordinator, correct? Yes, I mean, it shows like it's night and day difference between what Champ and um, those guys were doing with Coach White. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see those guys flying around the field. Um, I'm a big fan of Jalen. You know, I think <laughs> Jalen Foster is one of those guys that he, he, he's making money for himself. I mean, he, He's Johnny on the spot. I think he's leading the team in tackles and in interceptions. And, you know, that's what you need. And if we can continue to build off that energy and get pressure with, with Pickens and the guys up front, you know, it gives us a shot because we have a scheme where we're not going to go out and beat ourselves. You know, I, I think those guys are playing fast because it's pretty simple.
1: Yeah, and uh, with Texas AM, and he's not new, but they have are also playing with their number two quarterback as Zach Calzada. They call him the Cuban Missile. He's had that nickname since eighth grade, and it, just because how how powerful of an arm he has. But when he first took over, Tori, it was not good.
0: No. I watched him against uh, Arkansas, and uh, he was like a deer in headlights. So you can tell he's gotten comfortable because of the confidence that, you know, throwing a couple of touchdown passes and some big time games and beating Alabama. You know, I, I had that experience and walk a little taller around campus when you, when you go out and, and slay the Giants. So, um, you know, it, it just lets you know, man, this thing of college football is all once you string together a couple of wins, you see teams just take off.
1: <laughs> That's the one thing. I mean, with Calzada, I mean, you, you always want to affect the quarterback. But the main thing now is like he's had two games where he's played really well. He's kind of feeling his oats a little bit. I mean, is that where, as a defensive coordinator, Tori, put yourself in that seat? You go into that first series and say, okay, we're going to jailbreak blitz him on the first, second, third, fourth play. Even maybe if it costs us a touchdown, just to knock him down and say we're going to be there all day. Is that something that maybe you would do or is aggression maybe not the best choice to have
0: here? No, absolutely. I'm all about setting the tone. And, um, you know, we saw it from a, we used to do it on offense, but we had the guys on defense that did it as well. And it it matters, especially when you're going on the road, you know, it's not like it's a home game where we have game cognition behind us. Like literally we have to go there and, they're called a 12th man for a reason. So um, we got to find a way to disrupt him and, and, and make it hard, because if not, if we get that crowd going and allow those guys, you know, to strike up the band early, it could be a long day for us.
1: I think I do remember, was it maybe back in 2009 when you guys played Clemson at home, and Stephon lined up and uh, on the edge and came in on a corner blitz. Taj Boyd got the ball off, but Stefan drilled him. Mm-hmm. I think I remember saying afterwards, like, "Yeah, that was coming in. We wanted to make sure you disrupt him early. Just you know, even if you're standing over him in the heat of battle, saying all day, yeah, all.
0: So it matters. It goes a it goes a long, goes a long yeah. way because they're like, man, these yeah. dudes really out here. They're coming for me. Yeah,
1: and you know, you and I both know Stefan. You played against him and with him, and then you had JD too. And so Absolutely. he was always going to come in. He had what four sacks that next year." <laughs> But, you know, it's the A&M game, it's, it's tough. Obviously, South Carolina's never beaten them. It's on the road. It's at night. All those fans are going to be going crazy. What's the, the main thing to harness if you're the Gamecocks tour, to not get overwhelmed early?
0: You know you're going to have to take their best punch, you know, because you're going to have, they're going to have the crowd behind them and they're riding a high. And if you can go out there and if you can respond with, you know, putting six on the board or any type of points, your first drive, then that gives you an opportunity to be in the game. But if not, you know, I, that's where you, you know, I started to pay attention to body language of, of the guys on the sideline and in, in the years past, you know, guys have put their tail between their legs and pack it in. But you know, what I, what I have been seeing, you know, you know, past six, seven games I'm saying guys that, all right, fellas, like, come on, let's get it going. Like we, we can do this, but offensively it's, it's going to be on them to go out there and just to put some points on the board so it can give the defense, you know, more uh, morale to go out there and get stops and, and make it hard for Texas AM and offense
1: you mentioned Josh van earlier and he obviously had a really strong start to the season a big part of that was zeb nolan finding him zeb like Luke Doty is not afraid to throw over the middle of the field that's where Josh van flourishes he can also get those outside edges he's been you know pretty much scouted by the opponent the past two games they haven't really gotten him the ball that much as a receiver Tori what do you tell a guy like Josh van who's maybe getting not getting the ball as much and saying, hey, it's not because you're not good. It's just because they've got this other guy that's open. Do you have to keep building his confidence back up?
0: Yeah, I would get him the ball in space, some bubble screens. I would move him around. I just wouldn't line him up in his yeah. traditional, you know, X spot. I would motion him. And we just got to find ways to get him the ball to make him feel like he's a part of the offense because wide receivers, we do matter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's so talented. And you can see the team feed off his energy. Like that Georgia game, some of the catches he made, it inspired everybody else to go out there and, and, and do it themselves. So that's where we just got to give them the ball. Him, Nick Muse, uh, to carry on. We got to find a way to get our playmakers the ball in space. And it's as simple as that.
1: Yep, yeah, and that's one thing. I mean, with the receivers, the guys that they pretty much start out there, they're not like you were, where you're a 6'4 guy with a long reach. Still remember that touchdown you caught in the corner against Clemson where Steven just threw it up and – You get it, tumble into the hedges. They're not going to be able to do that to say, just put it over his head and he'll reach out and get it because these guys don't have that same body type. That said, they still can jump and they still can take a hit. How do you design a play to say, okay, if it's one-on-one, I'm just going to have to trust you to get off of your man and I'm going to throw it to you in the stomach. How tough is that to execute when you have that called?
0: Yeah, when, when guys are smaller, you have to be extremely accurate with the ball because the margin for error is is little to nothing. But I, I feel like those guys have the abilities to go out and do it. Like, I, if I'm going to bet the house, I'm going to bet it on Josh Van to go out there and make that play. I mean, I, the impression he left on me that Georgia game just lets me know he has it in him to be special, and he can be a 1,000-yard receiver. So we just got to find a way to scheme him up and get him the ball.
1: Now, they do have one guy who can do that in EJ Jenkins. He should be a bigger part of the game plan. I think everybody knows that. For some reason, they haven't been able to get him on the field as much or get the ball to him when he is on the field. But he's got a 6'7", with a whole big reach, Tory. I mean, how vital is it to say, listen, even if you're not really going to be a throw-down-field kind of quarterback, you've got to get that guy involved. How, how much could he help this offense?
0: Man, a lot. You know, 6'7", athletic. You know, I watched him, you know, make plays in the middle of the field. We just got to consistently just get them the ball. And we literally could come out in two tight ends and two receivers and and one running back. And, I mean, the Dallas Cowboys are, are making a living out of it. Tiger personnel, you know, or 12 personnel. I feel like we can do it ourselves because we have that type of talent. You know, And the concepts are not that hard. I mean, it's just simple high-low concepts, and you just keep it simple for Zeb to go back there and get the ball to the playmaker.
1: That's what I'm thinking. I mean, there were two plays last week that stood out to me that's kind of put the whole offense into a nutshell this year. First play, Luke Doty lines up. He's got Kevin Harris to his right, Marshawn Lloyd to his left. They're both stacked out of there. Like, okay, two running backs. The give is to Josh fan coming on the end around to the right. Well, nobody blocks for him out there. So he gets cut off. He tries to reverse it. He's trying to make a play, gets taken down for a seven yard loss. And I'm like, why do you need to be cute there? You know, just line up and run the ball and be simple. Next play, what do they do? Line up tight end inside, Jaheim Bell. Go straight down, go route, not even kind of misdirection. Hit him in stride, he fights off his man, touchdown. I'm like, I mean, <clears throat> I know how elementary it sounds because you can't do that every time. But, Tori, why can't they do that every time?
0: Keep it simple. You know, I, I, some of these offensive coordinators, they want to put their – leave their mark on a game by, you know, know, how Steve Spurrier would or, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian or these great play callers. But at the end of the day, when you know you're dealing with the average team, we we can't afford the luxury to just, you know, have a gimmick play here and there. Like we literally just have to, you know, keep it simple so guys can go out and execute and play fast because the last thing you want to do is lose yards or get somebody hurt because you have them doing things that they're not accustomed to doing.
1: Right. Texas A&M, going to be a real tough matchup to win. I don't think many people expect South Carolina to turn this into a win. The good news is is that things change during the season. So I came into this year thinking, well, it's possible they could have six wins after Vanderbilt. It's possible. That's good because they won't win one of their final five. Well, they've got four wins after Vanderbilt. This one is probably not going to be a win. But The final four games, Auburn, Florida, Missouri, Clemson. Those don't look unwinnable right now. So South Carolina is probably not going to happen for them this weekend, but it could. And then those next four games after a bye week, Tori. I mean, I think that this season is still wide open in terms of getting to a bowl game. What do you think?
0: I think we beat the two tiger teams, Missouri and Clemson, you know, Clemson do not look like a, a top 10 program over there. And, you know, I think they're starting to come back down to earth, and this could be a year where, you know, if the, if the guys really have school pride and they want to go out and, and finish the season with the bang, if they can if they can get Missouri and then, you know, we, we put it all on that Clemson game, that's like that incentive to where if they win and get them in a the bowl, we can get to six, you know, and that would, we would greatly appreciate that because this has been a long time since we be, beat those guys in orange.
1: That's one thing too, and I, I think that you know I speak for a lot of USC fans, maybe not all of them, but I'm thinking, hey man, any year you beat Clemson is a good year. I mean, you could lose every other game, but if you win that one at the end, you're going to be remembered, and everything's going to be good. But still, a lot to go before we determine that. And now it's time. I'd like to get to the favorite part of these segments, Tori. Let's talk about you and your career. Uh, as if, for any of you who listen who don't know, Tori was a standout athlete at Rock Hill High School. I'll forgive him for that as I'm a Northwestern Trojan, but that's beside the point. But, Tori, what is – now, you won a basketball and a football state championship, but it was not in the same year. It was in two different –
0: Yes, sir, 2005 and 2006.
1: That's right. I remember being on the court when you guys won it in basketball down in Columbia. But just – you played a lot of sports at Rock Hill. You excelled at both played one to stick with football, but you were a standout basketball player. Why don't you tell the audience about the time you scrimmaged with all the North Carolina Tar Heels?
0: Yeah, so you know, I committed to North Carolina once upon a time, and um, I was in a gym uh, at Charlotte Country Day, and there at the time, the University of North Carolina was having a basketball camp there. Wes Miller, um, he he was having his camp in the Charlotte area, and they had all the players there in attendance, and it was nine guys on the floor, and I just so happened to be there. I was dropping off. Uh, one of my cousins, and they needed an extra guy to come out and play. I just so happened to have all my gear, and I <laughs> went out there, and, and the rest is history. You know, I, all those guys at North Carolina, I ran right through them. You know, it was just one of those things. It was destined, and um, you know, I, I had a great showing, and from there, it it, it led to me, <laughs> led to me being on the Zoom call now. I um, ended <laughs> up getting a, a scholarship to prep school. Um, went wouldn't handle business in prep school because uh, I was academically ineligible. Once I went up there, changed my GPA and my SAT score. Uh, coming out of prep school, I had offers from Auburn, Virginia Tech, and South Carolina. And um, I, Coach Spurrier ended up talking me to coming down to South Carolina just because I was hanging out with Melvin Ingram and uh, <laughs> Captain Monerland and, and those guys, Sidney Rice. And, you know, I realized, I was like, this is an opportunity where I can play at home and, and help this program. And, it was the best decision of my life. You know, I ended up meeting, you know, all my best friends down there and, you know, my mother got to watch me play and, and we beat Alabama and I never lost to Clemson. So, that That is my story. You know, I, I know what it's like to beat the number one team in the country, and I never lost to the guys in orange. Yeah.
1: I mean, and once you got here, you were able to play. I mean, for those of you that don't know, the NCAA was up to its usual foolishness when it came to Tori's test score. But I was doing all those stories back then, constantly checking in. But I think I remember, Tori. weren't you about to back up and go to maybe Georgia military when they finally called and said, hey, wait, wait. It came through your good and going. Yes,
0: it, it was, it was dark times. Like I, I never forget. I was talking with, I was on the phone with Robbie Lowes. Yeah. Everybody was moving into the dorm and you know, I, I, I was waiting around, you know, I had to go back home and I ended up staying with a friend in Columbia instead. And, you know, I just waited around and finally, you know, I got that call from Robbie and school was starting. So I automatically had a red shirt and Ron Cooper came to me. He was like, look, you know, we need some help on defense. If you want to, you know, you, you we know you can play defensive back. And I, I looked him in the eye and I told him, I was like, coach, you know, I'm, I'm a receiver. I'm one of the best receivers here. And given the opportunity, I promise you, I, I make the most out of it. And, you know, for a defensive coach, for the guy that recruited me, because, um, you know, Spurrier Jr. had his guys, you know, they had the guys where they went out and signed, but for Ron for Cooper and Tyrone Nix to allow me to, Work on my craft, you know, while I was red shirting, and they understood, like, man, this kid is talented. And I never forget we had our first inter squad scrimmage. Uh, we called it Monday Night Football, <laughs> and you know, I went out there and made plays. And Coach Spurs like, no, 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 you're not playing defense. Come on over. Here. They switched <laughs> my number, and, uh, and, and the rest is history. You know, I ended up being a starter for the next few years while I was there, and um, you know, I was able to teach Alshon, and we we really. Uh, we embraced bully ball. You know, it was yeah. the first time where Coach Spurrier had six five guys all across the field. You know, it was Alshon Jeffrey, uh, Jason Barnes, D.L. Moore, myself. The only little guy we had that had a big heart was Ace Sanders. You know, that was the, and that was like our little brother. So, um, but I was one of the guys that were that was very um, instrumental when it came to being outspoken and just you know being a blue-collar type player, and I felt like that's why the fans loved me. It was because I was a guy that every play, I played it like it was my last because, you know, South Carolina gave me such a great opportunity uh, to be on a major platform for me to get my degree and and for me to make money as a pro athlete. You know, I, I'm forever indebted to that university.
1: 2010 season at Vanderbilt, you caught 14 passes in one game and a win over Vandy, and that means you share a record with Zola Davis – Kenny McKinley, Debo Samuel, and Brian Edwards. Now, I'm not going to say that you're the best of those guys, but what do you think?
0: I, I'm going to go with me every time. <laughs> of I got a record that some of those. I never my last year at South Carolina, I didn't drop a pass. You know, yeah. 44 consecutive catches. But no, I, I respect those players. They're great. You know, statistically, they put up some crazy numbers. You know. I don't, I played two years and I was gone. You know, I, I was one of these people before the NIL. I said, I got to go make me some money. So if I can make a million dollars playing football with a college degree, I'm fine. Like I can, I can manage the rest of my lifestyle. So, uh, but I like, I'm happy. Like I learned so much from all those players, you know, from guys, even guys, after like watching Debo Samuel, you know, develop and grow. I, I remember when this guy was on a scooter cause he was hurt all the time, you know, and, you know, he had different injuries or uh, when things with Alshon, like I remember Alshon, his first day in practice, or, you know, being out there with Garcia and, and watch how these guys, you know, just grew and developed and became household names, you know, the Stephon Gilmores, the Pat DeMarco's. Like we had 30 NFL guys on one roster, you know, even our kickers and punters were in the NFL, you know, <laughs> Spencer Lennon and, and Ron Sugar was still kicking. So you know, it's the glory days, and, you know, whenever I see them, it's all love, and I definitely appreciate, you know, the fans because they made it that way.
1: And, Tori, you know, you had your your pro football career at a couple of standout seasons in Canada and a season with the Browns uh, here, in the, here in the States, and now what are you up to uh, back home? You're helping out some younger players, aren't you?
0: Absolutely. So I transitioned into television. I remember reaching out to you. You were one of the first people that I told – uh, once I was retiring, hey, how do I get into television, you know, right. teaching? And you all, you said, Tori, you're a natural, you know, mm-hmm. just continue to do what you've been doing. You, you're friendly with the camera. So, um, uh-huh. you know, I was working at, you know, Fox Sports and ESPN. And I'm still doing stuff with Fox as we speak, still under contract with them. And I decided to get into recruiting because I had a parent reach out to me a while back. And they're like, can you help my son with recruiting? And I made two or three calls. And just like that, the kid picked up a power five offer and the light bulb went off and I was like you know what these kids need guidance because it's one or two things um parents this you can't google or ask Siri how recruiting works and if you're sitting up in the bleachers just taking advice from a parent who doesn't know what's going on the blind leading the blind so I've been blessed to be on both sides I can tell you what the recruiting boards look like and also can tell you how you can get yourself on the recruiting board and, you know, how to keep that scholarship or earn it. So it all made sense. Everything fell into place. And, you know, we, we humbly started with like two or three kids and it grew from three to 125, like overnight. And, um, you know, like I say, currently I, I have the number one player overall in 2024, Jaden Davis at Catawba Ridge high school, um, you know, his family has been a major blessing because they allow me to guide and, and they take my advice. You know, it, they, they work with me. You know, we work together. And that's why uh, Jaden is getting, the you know, the, the success and the accolades that's coming his way because everything is calculated. You know, we know exactly what these coaches are looking for and, and, and how to position ourselves to be the number one overall player. And like I said, I have so many NFL kids, like guys who I'm fans of who reach out to me. To ask them for recruiting help because A, they just want to be dad. They don't want to have to deal with, you know, chasing these coaches down or, you know, just that the process of recruiting. So, you know, being on this side, being able to, you know, help these parents, man, has been a, a tremendous blessing. And literally go to ToriGirly.com. If you, if you have a son, a nephew, or anything about recruiting, reach out, fill out the questionnaire and my wife and i will reach out to you and we'll get back and we'll give you a evaluation on if you're in division 1, division 2 or division 3. At the end of the day, i just want to see kids go to school and and live out their dream for the next 4 years.
1: Yeah, for all of you guys uh, tuning in, thank you for that. And uh, Jaden Davis at Catawba Ridge, which is up in Fort Mill, South Carolina, he's going to be a major player. And Tori's going to be right there uh, beside him, guiding him as he makes his college decision in a couple of years. But uh, that's going to wrap us up. I appreciate everybody who subscribed to Gamecocks Now, uh, the newsletter, and who is tuned into this. Thank you so much to Tory Gurley for joining me here. And uh, we'll see how South Carolina plays at Texas AM this weekend. He's Tory Gurley at ToryGurley.com. If you've got to kid playing football and want to get them into the college recruiting scene, I'm David Kloniker from Charleston Post and Courier. We'll talk to you from the Lone Star State. Tori, take care, man. Rock Hill, boys.
0: Go Cogs, baby. Rock, Rock Hill, baby. Rock Hill, football city, USA. <laughs>